This week on the Clubhouse, Anthony and I continue our trek to knock off the final ballparks on Anthony's 30 stadium tour. We are entering the home stretch of our road trip with only four more parks to go. In this episode, we visit the homes of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies. We also get into a debate on cheating in baseball. This episode was recorded in the stands of Chase Field and Coors Field, as well as in our rental car. We are currently sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona, indoors at Chase Field as it is about 105 plus degrees. Mr. Ryan Braun for the Milwaukee Brewers just had a very, 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 very long opposite field home run to break up this pitcher's duel that we've been watching. Mr. Rapp, sir, how you feeling so far? About which part? Honestly, about this ballpark in general. Uh-oh, we got a foul ball coming our way. We got to be on, we got to be on alert, folks. If you remember, our seatmate in front of us is going to protect us in case the foul ball comes towards us. Thank you, sir. He's a confused seatmate. He's wearing a Paul Goldschmidt T-shirt and a Milwaukee Brewers hat. He has some conflicting uh, allegiances, but that's okay. So, Anthony, sir, we were this morning. We were playing poker in New York City. And tonight we are in Phoenix watching by a baseball morning, game. Yes, by the morning, just for clarity, it was like four in the morning, but yes. That's it, that's yeah. Four in the morning it's is the morning. It's not like 10 in the morning, you know. No. Yeah. <laughs> but we are now sitting here at Chase Field. Um, what are you thought so far? What, you know, what were your impressions so far of uh, this, for the most part, indoor ballpark that we're sitting in? Uh, it's probably the, the nicest of the indoor ballparks, but, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the indoor ballparks as, as such. Um, the, the, the quality of the field itself is actually the worst, I think, of any of the parks we've been to. The quality of the grass is pretty bad, but the it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I feel like I, I think I'm, I'm going to check with someone here. Maybe they can give me an answer. Uh, I believe there must have been a concert here recently because the grass is very, very patchy and very, very just not well-maintained, which is not what you would expect from a major league ballpark or a major league grounds crew. So I'm, I'm assuming they must have had a concert here relatively recently. And it is the desert, which, you know, there's part of me that's like the 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 green warrior per part of me is like, don't don't uh, do things to, to make grass grow in Arizona. But at the same time, if you're going to have a ballpark, you want grass. So, you know, the the amount of water they probably have to infuse this grass with to make it healthy is not not ideal, but. Yeah. Sure. But all right. So so we, we flew in uh, this morning and, uh, you know, we, we immediately went and took a little bit of a nap at our hotel room. But we did get to the park a couple of hours early. And uh, would you like to kind of tell our, our uh, listeners what our experience of coming to? We were here about two hours before our first pitch. And what did we do here at Chase Field for quite a few for about an hour? We played pool. There's a pool table in the right field whatever, I don't even know what it's called, the strike zone. It's called the Coors Light Strike Zone. Um, I like love this, branding. It's like this raised picnic area, and it has a, a pool table that you can play for free. And it was it was a nice pool table, and we played pool. And uh, Munish won two out of three games. The third game was the closest by far. We were down to the eight ball, and uh, I almost sunk it once, and it just bounced out, and then Munish sunk it. <laughs> It was it was a well played matchup between Anthony and I. He uh, uh, definitely dominated me in the first game. I came back and, and pretty handily beat him in the second game. Although I started struggling a bit, and then yes, the third game was the most uh, uh, competitive. And Anthony, right in front of us, we we mentioned him in one of our earlier uh, podcasts, Mr. D Baxter, the Bobcat here at at Arizona at uh, Chase Field, is eating folks popcorn and he is harassing the Brewers a little bit. That's funny. He's, th- He's throwing popcorn at the Brewers. That's funny. And now he just threw popcorn at us. 
Yeah, we're sitting two rows behind the dugout, which is, uh, I always like sitting this close up. So you also had some good food here. Uh, you were very excited about that. You know, I'm a healthy eater, healthy-minded eater, and uh, I had a bowl with quinoa and tofu at a ballpark. Who knew? Quinoa and tofu at a ballpark. Excuse me, folks. One second. Because the crowd is losing its mind over some free T-shirts. Boy, do people in baseball stadiums love a free T-shirt. But the Brewers are currently teasing the crowd. They have a free T-shirt, and there you go. They just threw it to a, a lovely young lady sitting in front of us. They threw a ball to her earlier, too. I think these guys down here like this young lady. I think this young lady has caught some of the Brewers' attention. I think uh, she is quite cute, so I believe that, uh, yes, that the Brewers are taking a shine to her. But so, yeah, no, so I'm sorry. So we were kind of interrupted. What, what did you eat? I said it. I ate tofu and quinoa bowl. Every time you mention the quinoa and tofu bowl, someone starts screaming here because the uh, D-backs are just running back and forth uh, on the dugout steps here. But, you know, one of the things I love about Chase Field is the fact that they are great with their fan interaction. When you walk into the stadium, their uh, rally backs is what they call them. Uh, they help everyone fill out signs. They, they, you know, they really help you design some really nice signs, uh, no matter who you are in the ballpark. Uh, D. Baxter, the mascot, is always running around. He's, you know, does a great job. It's hot here, and, and I think it's difficult to get people to come out to a lot of games here. You know, it's a new franchise, um, despite the fact that they won a World Series three years in. Oh. I think we all feel that way. Um, they really don't have Their the... fourth season. Sure. 1999, 2000, Sure, sure, sure. Sorry, I apologize. Their fourth season in. So three years, and then they win a World Series seems to not be very fair. But so they haven't had time to build a, a legacy yet, a history yet. So they're still building on that. But tomorrow's going to be uh, Randy uh, Johnson's retirement of his number ceremony before the game. So the, the, we were, when we were buying our food, the, the, the people who work here were very excited about that. Yeah, they're expecting a full sellout. And um, Randy's going to be here. It's will be in Denver, unfortunately. So we will not be seeing uh, the big unit in person. But I have been inside the stadium when it's sold out, and it is a pretty cool environment here. I mean, today it's, I'd say, maybe about, actually, it's, it's filled up pretty nicely. Maybe about two-thirds filled, maybe a little less than two-thirds filled, but it's, it's filled out pretty nicely. Um, but once again, the roof is closed, and for any of you who followed my Rounding Third podcast, I constantly bemoaned indoor baseball. I never liked indoor baseball. Baseball should never be played with the roof over your head. I always want to see the sun and the stars and the moon above me. Um, but Arizona's done a pretty decent job considering it's hotter than the surface of the sun in Phoenix. So if they're going to have a ballpark, they're the one city that I say, okay, fine, you can have a roof. You enjoy exaggerating because I don't even know how many millions of degrees the surface of the sun is. Hyperbole, baby. It's my, it's my go-to. Well, yeah, Phoenix is pretty, pretty hot. It's Yeah, but... 101 degree or 98 degree. Today was 105, I think 106, yeah. yeah. Last time I was here, it was 116. Yeah. So that's, you know, that can get pretty hot for humans. Yes. And then the last thing we'll talk about, and then we'll get back to the game, is something that you and I disagree about, but I want to get on the record. What do you think about their amenity right beyond, just beyond the right field bleachers? And tell our fans, tell our listeners what that amenity is. It's a swimming pool and a hot tub. The look on his face, the look of disgust on his face right now, folks. Listen, does a ballpark need a hot tub and a swimming pool? Of course not. But the way I see it is, people like Anthony and I, while we would love to go to 162 games in our favorite ballpark, we can't. And there aren't enough of us that would want to do that. So if you're going to bring casual people into the ballpark, you need these type of fun little gimmicks. And a pool in Arizona, I'm okay with that. And if, you know... 50 people buy a ticket to go sit in the pool and one of them becomes a baseball fan because of it, I think it's worth it to have a pool inside of Chase Field. Disagree. But, you know, because there's another thing about water evaporating in Arizona. Having pools. Okay, yeah, that, that's, that's a different reason, though. But that's, that's a separate reasoning as far as... The real as, reason is I don't like things that aren't, don't have anything to do with baseball and baseball stadiums. Says the man who rationalizes and justifies having a jumbotron at Wrigley Field. Jumbotron has nothing to do with baseball. It's a lot of distractions. It's a lot of, they play the trivia games down there. They do all those things that have nothing to do with baseball. 
No, the trivia games are about baseball. Sure, but I was I saying, think, but no, not baseball the, on the field. Every, every stadium has a jumbotron. Yeah, it's I, I, it's it would be great with me if they never added it, but I think they've done a good job as we've talked about. Sure, before. of course. But a ba- you know, a, a swimming pool of, I don't know what other what other weird quirky things other ballparks have. I just think it's silly. Mini golf. You said you liked the mini golf. Uh, that was outside. I mean, like in the park, in the if there was something in the stadium. No, no, the mini golf was in the stadium. I mean, it was beyond the, the the fences there. I mean, the pool isn't in play. The pool isn't on the field. Never mind. <laughs> what, what happened? It's, I, I think it's terrible. That's all. I don't know. Like I guess that. I, I, that's fine. I, I, I empathize with your belief that it's terrible. I understand why you think that it's terrible. In an ideal world, in the perfect world, no baseball stadium would have all the bells and whistles, but. 162 games. How are you going to fill it otherwise? They, I think they're probably doing okay, generally. I don't know. I mean, you, you said that all the teams are no team is hurting for money, really. So There's a difference between not hurting for money and not filling the seats. They're not hurting for money because of the TV contracts. That has nothing to do with how many butts are in the seats. But if you, you know, there's any number, the, the, the reason that people come to see baseball at certain stadiums is the, the 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 relationship to the team and the history and yeah you said like they don't have a history as much but i just don't think you need a swimming pool to get people to come to the ballpark only as however many people can fit in that little area can use it anyway sure how no much money does it cost to be in there it's not about so the, so my justification for it is that like i said it's it's for the people that maybe n- wouldn't have come to a ball game without it and if they come, like I said, you know, like I said, if 50 people show up, to, you know, a game in that pool area and one of them is like, hey, you know what? I kind of like this thing, this baseball thing that I never really followed before that I had no interest for. The only reason I came is because my buddies all went together and, and bought this thing for our bachelor party or for our corporate outing or whatever. And now I like this game. So it's about making new fans. That's like I said, for me, if anything you can do to make new fans in any way possible, you know, but you've de- you've decried like you know, boxes, luxury boxes. It's yeah, the same kind of for thing. myself though, for for myself, I would never sit in the pool. I would never sit in in the luxury boxes. Once again, me, you and I are, are are not the demographic for those things. But I don't decry the existence of luxury boxes. I think that they are they serve a very very valid function. I just don't ever want to sit in them because it has very little to do with the game. Yeah. Okay. So any other final thoughts on uh, Chase Field as we are about to head into the top of the seventh inning? Uh, you know, it's the, all these concourses of these modern stadiums are really nice to walk around. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's like a fine mid-tier. So you don't, you don't really feel strongly one way or the other? It's definitely better than <laughs> Miller Park. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm looking at the Brewers and like Matt Garza was kind of like, he wasn't looking at me directly, but he was kind of like eyeballing the crowd right as I said that. It just felt like he heard me. He didn't hear me, but it was just funny. I think you heard him. I think I think Matt Garza is going to come come after you for, for trashing his beloved home. Uh, fine. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, folks, uh, we will be flying to Denver tomorrow morning. So... We will speak to you next time from the Mile High City. See you in a couple seconds. Our desert excursion was short and sweet, but now it was time for us to explore the Rocky Mountains of Denver. While in the car, we began to discuss what exactly constitutes cheating in baseball and whether we feel the punishments fit the crimes. And welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We have just landed in Denver, Colorado. Well, we haven't just landed. We had to. We had a very interesting moment for travelers out there who've experienced crazy things. We got our rental car. We were driving down the highway, and it was going nuts. The transmission wasn't working, so we had to turn around and get another car. So we've actually been landed for like it feels like four hours, but it's probably <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Hi. It's beautiful <laughs> Mile High Denver. It's beautiful though. We are in the Mile High City. We can see the mountains in the distance. It looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous. I am. Very excited to bring Anthony to Coors Field tonight for his first game. But while we're driving to my buddy Ryan Rindler's house, where we'll be uh, crashing during our short stay here in Denver, 
I thought Anthony and I could talk a little bit about cheating in baseball. Cheating in baseball is one of those things that's been around since day one, and I feel like people have varying degrees of interest in the concept of cheating at all in baseball, and then the different levels that one can cheat at baseball. So before we get into this discussion, Anthony, just what is your, uh, your, your thought process on the concept at all of any type of cheating in baseball? Uh, I'm sort of anti-cheating in general of all games. Like, you know, I'm a poker player, as we've talked about. And I mean, I will confess every once in a while, there's a time where I've gotten a glimpse of my neighbor's whole cards if they're being really uncareful. Um, but I don't then seek out to see it, you know, so I guess you could call that cheating, but it would be same time in the middle of a hand. I can't tell him that I saw his whole cards. I mean, it's a weird situation, but I, I just, yeah, I think if you're going to play a game, play it within the bounds of the rules. I mean, I guess if there's, but see, I need to know what you, what your definition of cheating is. And I think there's the rub. I think, especially in a game like baseball, there are many different definitions of cheating. You know, it's a game that has a thousand rules. Like, it's ridiculous. I, I would challenge any one of our listeners out there to be able to accurately, uh, 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 off the top of their head, to be able to remember every single rule in baseball because I don't even think the umpires know every single rule. I've watched games where the umps have had to kind of, actually, Brad Ausmus, the manager of the Tigers, I've seen him bring a rule book out to the mound or out to the umpire to show him no, this is an actual rule that you don't know. Um, but you know what? I think we're going to get into a couple of, of variations of cheating, and we'll see where we both land on it and what our definition of cheating is. So this is from a BuzzFeed sports article called A Guide to Cheating in Baseball. I will uh, put the this link up on clubhousepodcast.com in the show notes. But for now, this is uh, Lindsay Adler is the BuzzFeed news reporter who uh, wrote this piece. And this is how the article starts. I won't read the whole thing, but for as long as baseball has been around, players have tried to gain a competitive advantage. As players in the sport have evolved, cheating has become increasingly frowned upon and difficult to get away with. So I think that's the beauty of it, is if we go back in the late 1800s, the rules are a little bit different. And so, for instance, the first way of cheating on her list is the spitball. The spitball used to be a very accepted pitch in the major leagues. And for those of you who don't know what a spitball is, here's how it works. Once again, this is according to Lindsay. Saliva is applied to one side of a baseball, causing it to break sideways in the direction of the slobbery side. <laughs> With their fingers not on the seams, the pitcher used saliva to grease the ball before pinch pinching it between their thumb and fingers. The ball... This ball was essentially squeezed out during the throw, giving it minimal spin and maximum drop. So, Anthony, what are your thoughts on a spitball? Well, if it's been, but has it been officially disallowed? Yes. Then it should not be used. If it's been officially disallowed, then it should not be used. I mean, it's just like anything that's agreed, a rule that's agreed upon by all the parties. If you try to do it, then you're cheating. Okay. I don't disagree with you on that, but that's going to lead us to the, this next art of cheating, which I think might make things a little more complicated. Stealing signs. There it is. Stealing signs is next on this list. Now, yeah, how it works. Uh, I'm not going to read how she wrote it here. I'll just explain how it works. For those of you who don't know, so a catcher uh, calls the game, for lack of a better term. A catcher basically tells the pitcher which pitch to throw. Sometimes he gets helped by the pitching coach, by the manager, by the third base coach, you know, et cetera. But for the most part, the catcher is the one throwing those signs down. For those of you who watched a live game, when you see the catcher throwing down a one or a two or a three or, you know, and then, and then signaling inside, outside, up, down, he's basically telling the pitcher where he wants that ball to be and what kind of pitch, fastball, curveball, et cetera. So now what you can do if you are on the opposing team, is you can steal those signs, and then you can know what pitch is coming. The most famous example of a, of a sign being stolen was in the 1951 uh, um, uh, Dodgers-Giants pennant-clinching game where shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson, Giants win the pennant, Giants win the pennant. We've mentioned on the podcast before, my buddy Andrew Moscato, he directed a movie called Branca's Pitch, which is all about Ralph Branca, who threw that pitch. Come to find out the Giants were stealing signs. 
So what do you think, Anthony? Stealing signs? Is stealing signs against the rules? It absolutely is against the rules. But how, do they, how can they know and how can they enforce it? So this is where the complicated things happen. So stealing signs, if I'm on second base and the catcher's behind the plate, I can absolutely look in there and kind of give a peek and give a, a signal to my uh, uh, teammate at the plate about what's to come. Now that is frowned upon, but that, as you said, is not explicitly banned because how can you explic- explicitly ban that? What is explicitly banned is using any type of binoculars, binoculars, telescope, having a third party in the stands to relay. That is what happened in 1951. There was a third party in the stands who was relaying the pitches to the uh, team. So that is uh, illegal. But stealing signs, it's frowned upon. Yeah, but but so uh, what I do know also is that when there are men on second, sometimes the catcher and the pitcher will go up talk to each other in the mound and they'll like go through a different order sequence yes but so, now so i think that that i don't th- i don't consider that cheating i think that's like everybody's got to be on their toes to be adapting to every game situation it's not the same thing to me as somebody sitting with binoculars who's you know if you've if you've if if your team has successfully gotten a man into scoring position and they're in a position to see the catcher making signs and they, are, and they can relay that information. It's up to the pitching and catching combo and the manager, whoever on that team, to respond to that threat and to create a new strategy, I think. I don't think I don't consider that cheating. Okay. I don't think I disagree with you on that one either. I think we're on the same page there. I, uh, I'm a big fan of sign stealing, actually. I think sign stealing should happen all the time. It's if you're clever enough to get away with it on the field, once again. Nothing off the field, but if you're clever enough to get away with it, go ahead and do it. I, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, I'm sometimes okay with the catcher will oftentimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed, noticed Anthony, but a catcher will, let's say, set up outside and make a very, very distinct noise, whether it's snapping the glove or making noise to make the batter think that's where the ball is coming and at the last second jump inside. So, you know, anything you can do and you can do to kind of get one over on, I think I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's not cheating in any way. But some folks consider it unsportsmanlike. Unsportsmanlike. Yeah, you're trying to basically fake, fake the the, the batter out there. There's a there's no uh, there's there's no pride in in doing such things. I disagree. I I'm just I'm I'm trying to speak for those who I've heard uh, uh, speak of that. So I think we're in agreement. Sign stealing. It's okay if you can get away with it on the field, off the field. We're not a fan. Up next is pine tar. This is going to be an interesting one. How it works. Pine tar gives a pitcher a better grip slash more control over the ball. Why it's illegal. Rule 8.02 from the official baseball rules states that a pitcher may not apply a foreign substance of any kind to the ball. So pine tar, should it be legal? Or should it be, you know, what, what do you think about... That's not for so the conversation is about what should or shouldn't be allowed. The conversation is if you allow something that's against the rules, is it cheating? And then yes, it's cheating. Okay, fine. Then let's expand the conversation just a bit. Then should pine tar be allowed? No, because you can't regulate the amount. Everybody should be using a ball that's basically the same ball. How about the argument that using pine tar could actually benefit? safety because especially in the rain in the snows in the you know etc etc in the very cold weather it allows the pitcher to get a better grip on the ball and not have it split out of his hands and hit someone in the head in the back etc no 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 because it's unregulatable you can't everybody should be pitching with an equal ball so you the amount of pine tar in any given ball can't be determined I don't, yeah, I don't think that it's, I think it would be unfair. I would not be upset if pine tar became legal. Maybe if there's a way to try and regulate it, I don't know how you do that. I know, I agree. He, Anthony just threw his arms in the air with a quizzical look on his face. I agree. I, I don't know how one would regulate it, but I think especially in the days where now these guys are throwing it, we're training these young kids to throw it 100 plus miles per hour with very little control. If they can, you know, I'd rather that than, than having these guys start having to wear full-on hockey helmets at the plate because of errant balls being thrown at their head. And I've seen you know, and a lot of games are played when it's wet. I see a lot of games that are played with a, with a light drizzle. I'm always fascinated how these guys can actually throw the ball with any f- control whatsoever 
in some of the rainstorms that I've been in watching ball games. We just actually took a little bit of a break there. We had to uh, edit the podcast because we just saw a potential massive accident right in front of us because some dummy did not check his blind spot. And the car behind him was a brilliant driver and was able to slam on the brakes and, and avoid any type of collision. But that was that was kind of scary, Anthony. Yes, we are lucky. This person, we must give them the thumbs up. Yes, we're driving past him. It's a, oh, she is, she is holding her head and she is smoking a cigarette. She is very, very stressed out right now. That was a very scary moment for that young girl's life, but good for her. She's never gonna hear this podcast, but if you do, if you are a listener, uh, uh, it is, uh, um, well, you remember, you were almost in an accident close to the Denver airport. Good driving. So next up on our list is Vaseline. How it works. It pretty much gives the ball the sideways break like the spitball, but it's a little less gross. So it's basically a spitball-esque, but you're using Vaseline instead. It's the same thing. Like anything that's foreign substance on a ball, I would say no. Unequivocally no. For okay. me. Okay. My thing, once again, Vaseline, much like spitballs, are, are yes, at that point now, it's going to make it more dangerous, not less dangerous. So I'm okay with that, with those being continuing to be illegal. Sandpaper slash emery boards. How it works. The pitcher scuffs the ball, giving them a better grip and more movement. Why it's illegal, defacing the ball is listed as a violation under Rule 8.02. If you remember, Anthony, before I get to this, do you remember the Joe uh, Nierko incident? Where Mr. Nierko, and I'll put the video up on clubhousepodcast.com in the show notes. You all need to check it out if you haven't seen it. It's absolutely hysterical. He is... uh, clearly gotten caught um, with sandpaper, like, like scuffing the ball. And the umpire comes out and starts, you know, searching him for the sandpaper. And it, it's all caught on camera. He, in one motion, reaches into his back pocket and just kind of flings his hands in the air as if to say, what are you looking for? I don't have anything on me. And you can see the, flan- the sandpaper fly out of his back pocket and land on the ground. And then the umpire goes to pick it up and he kind of looks and he looks like Trey's trying to step on it. Like he's doing everything he can to make sure that sandpaper isn't found. It's one of the best baseball clips I've ever seen. That's hilarious. It's also deserved. He should get caught. I think it's illegal. Yeah, and it should be illegal. Because again, you can't, you can't regulate the amount of scuff on any given ball. And if it does, you know, anything to me, it's, it's, it's as much as anything, just that everybody has to be on equal, equal footing with the, with the baseball, with the actual ball itself. But everybody's not on equal footing with the bat. You're allowed different variations of a bat, different weights, different sizes, different, et cetera. But that's a different, that's a, to me, that's a different animal. Okay. I just, I, I, I just wanted to give you a chance to say that because I feel that someone might have that thought. And so I wanted to give you a chance to, to explain because that. Everybody's a different shape and size. The baseball is a uniform, you know, orb that has all the specific seams and everything like that. So everybody has to be expected to throw it with the same, with that raw material being the same. But again, you know, different pitchers will have different hand size and finger size. And, you know, Pedro with his super long skinny fingers (laughs) probably did weird things. You know, I mean, everybody has their, you know, big unit has his crazy long arms. I mean, everybody has other advantages, but the, the ball itself is the ball, is the same ball for all people. Okay, I agree with that. Now we get to the fun stuff. Corked bat. The core of a bat, how it works, the core of a bat is modified, usually with cork, to make the bat lighter, allowing a player to swing with more power. Studies have shown that the cork actually absorbs kinetic energy, making the ball travel a shorter distance with less power. So, yeah. Why it's illegal, just as rules forbid modifying the baseball, altered bats are also illegal. Here's the deal. I've always known, and we've always known, not just me, I've, we've always known the cork bats are more of a mental thing than an actual physical thing. Sammy Sosa famously was caught with a cork bat after getting hit in the head, and his excuse was essentially that, you know, well, first, once again, he similarly tried to hide it, um, but his excuse was basically, you know, it's, it's his, his, his head wasn't in the game at this point. He, it was terrifying to get hit in the head. Uh, for baseball, and so kind of get some of his confidence back, he wanted to use a cork bat. Now, so the cork bat doesn't act, now that we've learned this, the cork bat doesn't actually help. So what do you think? If it, if it can help you mentally, but not help you physically at all, do you think the cork bat should should be illegal? Well, yeah, I mean, I just think that anything that is, 
that different from any other item. Yeah. If you allow everybody to use a cork bat, you say, hey, everybody, all of you, cork bats are not legal. You can all, if you choose to, you can all use a cork bat. I guess, why would you? Why would you at that point? You'd be stupid. Why would people in the, why did people in the past? Well, yeah. they thought because it was a fat, they could swing faster. Once again, mentally though, mentally it's one of those things that you can lie to yourself about a lot of things. You can convince yourself of a lot of things. I, do, I don't care either way, honestly. It doesn't really matter to me. But I mean, it, it, the conversation being if, if it's illegal and you have a cork bat and you should, and you get caught, you should be punished. Yeah. Okay. But you would not be, would you, would you be opposed or not opposed to cork bats becoming legal? I guess I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I guess you'd be dumb to use one. We're going to take just a brief break so that Anthony and I can tell you about our first giveaway. I have a 2016 baseball stadium's wall calendar for sale through TF Publishing. They're available at Amazon.com, Calendars.com, as well as your local Meyer Big Lots, Stop and Shop, and more. I'll include all this info about how you can purchase one of my uh, calendars at my website, roundingthird.net. But for now, Anthony has a very exciting announcement to tell you all about. So uh, we're gonna have our first giveaway. It's a giveaway contest. Here, it's very simple. Uh, we are always looking for more trivia questions to ask our our guests for their for the game that we play at the end. Um, so if you have any cool trivia questions about your favorite team or about any team that you love or anything, send them to us, please, at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at clubhousepod, and we will look through those and if we wind up using one of your questions we will give you a free signed wall calendar and it will be signed by Manish who was the photographer he will sign the Detroit Tigers Comerica Park picture and I will sign the Wrigley Field picture because I am a diehard Cubs fan so send us your questions please and uh, good luck if you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast welcome for more great baseball conversations take a look at our archives like our chat with Martha Joe Black Martha Joe's father was Joe Black, the first black pitcher to win a World Series game. In this clip, Martha Joe shares a story of her father playing high school baseball and realizing that because of his skin color, he may never get a chance to play in the major leagues. My dad went to high school and I have this great picture, which I will show you, which I found online, very strange. Mm. I have a high school picture at Hubbard in New Jersey of my father, he's the only black pitcher, or player, excuse me, on the team. Everybody else is white and there were scouts that came and my dad was like, um, is no one going to look at me? And they're like, no, you're good. You're one of the best athletes here. He goes, well, why aren't you talking to me? He goes, you're colored. My dad's like, yeah, I know that. And my last name's Black. So I, I know that <laughs> twice. Um, and this guy's like, well, color guys don't play. And my father went home from school that day and looked at his baseball cards and realized they were all white. Yeah. And he ripped them all up except for his favorite player, Hank Greenberg. And my dad didn't get it because he was like, I can't believe this. That's how I think my father got his heart broken the first time. Yeah. Um, from knowing that. And now, back to our conversation on cheating in baseball. So that brings us to gambling in baseball. The cardinal sin of baseball. Say it ain't so, Joe. The 1919 Black Sox famously through the World Series... But then perhaps even more famously for a younger generation, the hit king himself, Mr. Pete Rose, bet on baseball. And you just can't do that. You just can't bet on baseball. So, Anthony, what are your thoughts on betting on baseball and should it be allowed? For baseball players or people playing the game, any, any person who's playing a sport should never be allowed to bet on their own sport. So now what about the argument of... Well, I'm always betting on myself to win. Why can't I bet on myself to win? I want to win every game. Why can't I bet on myself to win every game? Well, if you could regulate that that's exactly what they were doing, I guess they're, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you would, it's unregulatable probably again. It comes into the question of like, that's bad. That's actually, you'd be a bad gambler if you did that. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be following the, you know, you wouldn't get any money. You know what I mean? And so that would be a stupid way to gamble. Okay. So then how about we expand this a little bit? Which, for the record, I'm obviously in complete agreement. Gambling baseball shouldn't be nowhere near. Gambling should be nowhere near baseball. It shouldn't what? be nowhere near. It shouldn't be nowhere near. <laughs> so... Uh, expanding on that a little bit, 
What about fantasy baseball? Should they be allowed to do fantasy baseball? I mean, if it's not money. In a league that is maybe not money, but maybe it's, it's in a league that you get a trophy or you get a something. You get something at the end of this league. Because otherwise, you know, for a lot of people, why play fantasy sports if you're not playing towards something, even if it's just bragging rights? So, should, so what level of fantasy baseball would you or would you not allow in Major League Baseball? The level that I do, which is no money, and it's just bragging rights. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun for you as a non-player, but you don't think that that may interfere with the integrity of how they're playing the game? I get, I, I... Let's say you're a relief pitcher, because this has happened many times with you and I getting into very, very heated, small little uh, uh, debates where someone will be playing the Detroit Tigers that you have on your fantasy team, and you'll just say, hey, look, just... Could you just give up one run, or could you just let him steal a base, or maybe could you just do whatever here, even if you're up by 10? And what do I always say? You say no, but... I'm always very, very against it. I don't want my team to have anything bad to them happen ever, which is one of the reasons why I don't play fantasy baseball. So what about that relief pitcher who's in the game, who has a seven-run lead, and says, oh, hey, this guy at the plate's on my fantasy team. Yeah, then it's probably, it's probably a bad idea for them. Yeah, for... So that's what I'm saying. So then why, so... Yeah, then that's probably shouldn't be allowed, yeah. So fantasy baseball, you think, should be illegal in, for baseball players? Yeah, I guess in, in those circumstances, yes. I mean, like, the, 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 the abstract thing I was thinking of is, like, if, if I'm a hitter, it doesn't matter if I have other hitters on my fantasy team, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. You know what I mean? Like, but if, yeah, if I'm a pitcher, that might alter how I... No, because if you're a batter and you, and once again, you guys are up 12 to nothing and it's the seventh inning, and once again, you got this reliever on your uh, uh, fantasy squad, so it's, yeah, I'll take a strikeout here. What's a strikeout can do? No one cares about strikeouts anymore anyway, so I'll strike out, let him pat his stats a little bit, and I'll win my fantasy this week. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there was a way to regulate it so that but see, it gets it gets too thorny that if you could regulate it so that you never have a person that you're opposing on that given day in your roster. But I don't know how they would, you know, I don't know how, you couldn't regulate it to such a degree, so. So, once again, for the record, I think I'm, I, I, well, here's the thing. For, for, the, for, for the real record, there's no way that a ball player, I'm pretty sure, would actually do that. There's no way the guy would sacrifice his own personal stats for his fantasy stats. And if he would do that, I'm not sure I'd want that, that ball player on my team because that's just a very that's that's just a, a very dangerous line of thought. But so I think we're in agreement that gambling in baseball in any form, just keep it far away. Now, do you agree with lifetime bans? Do you agree that if you it's it's a one and done type situation that if you get if you get caught betting on baseball in any way, shape, or form, you can never have anything to do with baseball ever again? Well, because it's only because it's been that way forever, and yes. It's a, it's a hard and fast rule that everyone going to the game knows that if you get caught doing that, you are banned forever. So yes, I think it is one and done. And do you? But okay. But if, let's say if in a fantasy world, hypothetically speaking, that wasn't the rule, and it was up to you to decide, what what would you think a proper punishment would be for betting on baseball? I just want to see what your what your if one of your ball players was caught betting on the game, and you don't know whether he bet for or against the team, you just know that he gambled on the game. I, it, this is an impossible question because it's 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 a situation that's been going on for almost a hundred years, so the context is already so firmly established that I would never change that rule ever. I understand that, but I'm saying if if we're playing, we just saw Inside Out, folks. So uh, for for context, we're in imagination land right now. In imagination land. There was no, that rule did not exist. It's 2015, and batting, the Black Sox never existed. The plethora of other uh, ballplayers who gambled on baseball, because that is the, the one kind of dirty little secret, is in the early 1900s, it wasn't just the Black Sox. There were a lot of ballplayers that were uh, uh, fixing games or doing whatever they could to make an extra buck or two. So you can't put yourself, you can't, you, you can't do uh, hypotheticals like that? That's not something you enjoy doing? No. Really? I would have thought that someone, you know, in your position, a very creative type, someone might like to do the fantastical. We were just talking how much you love Lord of the Rings, that, you know, a fantastical Harry Potter, all these high fantasy concepts. You can't put yourself in a world, in a parallel universe, where gambling and baseball had never been an issue, and it's up to you to decide what the penalty would be? No. 
That's very mean, interesting. That's like there's there's such apples and oranges. Wait, what's apples and oranges? Lord of the Rings and thinking about a hypothetical world in which something that exists for a hundred years never existed, and and that is it's just imagination, it's just fantasy, it's just think, it's just it's fun. I um I I, don't, I, I enjoy at times doing hypotheticals well, so, of just random so crazy I, things. So what's your response to the question? I don't know actually. I mean, I it's it's an interesting thing for me to think about because on the one hand, I do feel that you. As soon as you bring in an outside force and an outside reason to win or lose a game, the integrity of the game is gone. So once again, regardless of how I feel about the Black Sox or anything like that, as soon as you do say, I'm going to put money down, because I don't actually gamble on on games in my personal life anymore because of that kind of same reason. I feel like it, it, I used to when I was a kid, but I feel like when I put money, actual money, not friendly bets, friendly wagers, hey, I'll lose a dinner bet to you or whatever, but actual real money, on a game, I feel like I process that game differently than if I was just watching it the way I normally watch it. And so when I look at a ball player, I think there's no way that if he's betting on that game that he is playing it at the same level or the same mindset or the same anything than if there wasn't money on the game. And so for that reason, I think I probably would have it banned, but I'm not sure if I'd do one and done. That to me is always so extreme. One and done to me, I'm a man of second chances. I like giving people second chances. So that's why in this hypothetical, I was asking you if you would be that stringent with it or if you would um, decide to maybe make it like the, the PED stuff where it's like first strike is X amount of games, second strike is X amount of games, third strike is banned for life. Because as I said, I'm, I like giving folks second chances. I just think that gambling, I mean, it's such a slippery slope that I think it has to be one of those things that is so hard and fast. I do. I think. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. Like I said, that's, 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 I was just curious. That's what I wanted. I wanted to hear what you, uh, you know, your real thoughts on, on the matter. Because I think a lot of these things we tend to not really think about these days. We are, we're so far removed from it being an everyday occurrence in the game that it's kind of like, oh yeah, gambling on baseball, it's the Black Sox and Pete Rose. And we kind of just go from there. I like to deconstruct and get back to the nitty gritty, to the beginning of it all, and see would we do the same things again had we been the ones making the decisions. It sounds like you would, and I maybe would have fought to make it a little bit more, give folks an opportunity to to prove themselves. But then that brings us to the modern day gambling scenario, the modern day uh, uh, biggest problem in baseball, which of course is PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. Now, we have absolutely touched on performance-enhancing drugs on this podcast before. For those of you who have not listened to our uh, two-part episode with uh, Charles Sheeler, the lawyer who cleaned up baseball, I cannot recommend that episode highly enough. He was integral in getting steroids out of the game, or at least getting them as out of the game as they could be up until this point. What exactly are your thoughts on the idea of, of steroids as far as, because I know some people are like, eh, make it all legal, who cares? Make everything legal and let them all do whatever they want. What are your thoughts? I think they should all be illegal. And by all, do you mean steroids, amphetamines, uppers, downers, uh, uh, Adderall, et cetera, like everything, any drug whatsoever? Or do you have a line or, you know, where? what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, I'm pretty anti-medication in general anyway, just as a, as a, I think that, uh, you know, we, we're living in a world that's, people are com- incredibly overprescribed and using, you know, using medicine way too much and pharmaceutical companies have way too much power and influence and on doctors and all the money that's generated. So that's like a whole other conversation in general. So I think that, yes, I think that if if you have some condition that Adderall absolutely makes your life better and it's demonstrable, then and okay, sure, I guess. But I think that the 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 criteria have to be so stringent for any unusual medication that you know that could directly impact your body's capacity to do physical activity in a way that's beyond the norm, beyond the pale. There's plenty of natural foods and vitamins and, I mean, even caffeine that can help brain activity and physical well-being, you know, but there's no question that, yes, steroids 
you know, people used to say, I remember people would have like a little bit of an argument like, well, Barry Bonds still had to have the bat speed. But the thing is, the steroids don't just do large twitch muscles. They don't just make you bigger. They also they, they affect your, 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 your fast twitch muscles, your, which does affect bat speed. So, yes, he still had to have the hand-eye coordination. Yes, he was already a great hitter. But there's no question that it not only gave him more power to hit the ball farther, but it also improved his bat speed. So it allowed him to get to these balls faster. So, and the, you know, the law of regression of just the way human beings are, the way that we age, the fact that he kept getting <laughs> hitting more and more and more home runs as he got older at a point where every other person alive in the history of everything hits fewer, you know, and his batting helmet size changed. I mean, these things, these are not things that happen naturally, let alone the fact that part, I do believe part of the whole, I'm a absolute subscriber to the whole argument of kids look up to these athletes and steroids are very damaging to your body and very damaging, especially at young age and they can affect your kidneys, they can affect your genitals, they can affect your heart, they can affect your brain. I mean, it's, there's nothing that's good about long-term use of any of these things. So for better or for worse, we, are, we, we do live in a society that is a hero worshiping society and kids look up to these people. And I do believe that there's something of a responsibility that these players have to demonstrate a, a, you know, more a healthier approach to life as they have kids looking up to them, trying to emulate them. I'm not saying that they have to be their moral compass, you know, that's not their job, but. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's, I will, I will admit this, that there was a time in my life in the mid 2000s where I was just so unbelievably annoyed and frustrated and exhausted about hearing about the steroid scandals. And it seemed like every other day there was a new superstar that was being accused of or, or that was <clears throat> being, um, just brought up in, in my circles of, of whispers in, in with, among sports writers of, yeah, you know, we heard so-and-so was doing this and so-and-so was doing this. <clears throat> and we heard that this guy might be taking this and this guy might be taking that. And I just, at a certain point, was one of the guys that was like, I don't care anymore. Let them all do it. I'm done. Fine. Let them all hit 6,000 home runs. Who cares anymore? I'm just, I, I was so involved. I was so immersed in it that I couldn't imagine a world without it. And I was like, it's just, this, the game has changed now. This is what's happened. We're living in modern society. Who cares? But then, and unbeknownst to me at the time, but because of Charles Sheeler and because of a lot of great work by a lot of people within Major League Baseball, they were able to get a lot of the PEDs out. I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of them the percentages of those that were doing it. I mean, anytime you watch, you know, we, uh, uh, the, the, the Hall of Fame ceremony is this weekend. And, you know, obviously over on MLB Network and on all, all the different channels, they're showing highlights of all of Biggio and of Smoltzy and U Big Units and, and Pedro during their prime. And it is comical. It is, it, I, I, I can't stop laughing when you watch these guys in the 90s because every one of them looks like Popeye. It's just they are cartoon characters. They are massive. Except the, except those four, didn't they? No, I'm sorry. No, I, of course. Yeah, not, I'm, I'm talking about, yes, their opposition. Their oppositions um, are just, they're just massive human beings. Yeah, I mean, Randy Johnson is just a beanpole. Pedro is a pretty small guy. Smoltz is, you know, a pretty wiry guy. Uh, Biggio was kind of built bulky and kind of built like a, you know, a short, stocky guy. But, you know, he wasn't Sosa Bonds, McGuire. Like when you see these guys, the, the poster children for that era, um, it's, like I said, it is comical. It, it's it's their, their, their forearms, their thighs are thicker than Anthony and I's bodies combined. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And so now to see it and to see these guys, you know, modern-day superstars, guys like Harper, guys like Machado, guys like Trout, guys like, you know, the guys who are current, or even guys like Miguel Cabrera, or or um, who else are the big home run hitters these these days? I mean, you got guys like Vado, you got guys like uh, Cruz. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cruz is kind of a bad example because he got popped. But you do have a lot of smaller guys. And yes, has the game changed a little bit? Are we seeing a lot of dingers? You know, we're just here to see dingers. 
Uh, I've done a lot of Simpsons references on this podcast, but uh, yeah, you know, do, do you just want to, you know, hear the truth or, or see me hit a bunch of dingers, as Mark McGuire once said in a Simpsons episode? Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, pretty, and it was actually Mark McGuire who said it, which is really funny. Uh, he was a guest voice on The Simpsons. Uh, uh, but so it's just, it's, I am now at a point where, uh, as Anthony mentioned, I won't, I won't parrot him too much, but it's something that I believe for a long time is, is that, yeah, once again, we're, we're, we're watching a game played by grown men and wearing pajamas, hitting a ball with a stick. This is a game for kids. This is a game for children. As much as we are all grown adults loving it and being passionate about it, kids are the ones that are being influenced by it. And I remember being in high school in the 90s and the kids on my high school baseball team taking steroids. These guys had no business doing it. They were nowhere near going to make it to the pros. I don't think anybody from my, my high school made it to the, to the big leagues in any level whatsoever. But, you know, and I've met a lot of high schoolers who did the same thing. And that, to me, is just unacceptable. So I think cheating is something that, when it comes to things like sign stealing, when it comes to things like, uh, you know, maybe trying to even use a little bit of pine tar secretly underneath the the, uh, the wrist there, I think pitchers are going to try to get away with that, batters are going to try to get away with that, base runners are going to try to get away with that for as long as baseball's a thing people are going to try to take an advantage. And if you get caught, yeah, you got to do your time. You got to do a game, eight games, 10 games, what have you. But for the biggins, for, for gambling, for peds, I think uh, Anthony and I are in agreement that uh, you really shouldn't be allowed near the game if you, if you mess that one up one too many times. Agreed. So with that, I'm sorry to, I mean, it's sort of been said, but, um, I love the way the game has continued to evolve in, in the wake of the lack of, you know, in the post-steroid era. I love that it's, it's gotten back to some of the, the fundamental stuff that I, that I love about the game of, you know, stealing is more important again, base stealing, you know, manufacturing runs, pitching, all the things that the, the, where the game began. And, and it's not like people are, aren't hitting home runs. They're still hitting home runs. They're always going to hit home runs. I just like the fact that the number 50 means something to me again. That if I see someone hit 50 home runs, I'm going to throw a party. Because when I was a kid, 50 home runs was such a magical, special, crazy number. I was like, oh, when Cecil Fielder hit 50 home runs, albeit not for the Tigers, but when Cecil Fielder hit 50 home runs, I hit it for the Yankees. Um, I, it blew my brain. It broke my brain. It was amazing. But then all of a sudden, Sosa's hitting 60 every year, and you got 70 now, and, you know, hitting 40-plus home runs became the norm. So I think I agree with Anthony that, that right now, you know, it is something that the, the game has changed, I think, for the better. I'm happy about it. We want cheating out of the game in any, in any form unless it's, you know, baby cheating here and there, trying to, get, trying to get one, trying to just, you know, get one over on someone. I think that's my carny roots coming out. That's, that's my, you know, anything you can do to uh, just get a little bit of an advantage. But I think that's going to do it for this episode. So the next time you hear us, we will be at Coors Field. I'm very excited to show Anthony Coors Field. It's going to be a really cool ballpark. And I think uh, we're going to be meeting up with my buddy Ryan Rindler. So I'm very excited about that. So we'll see you in a couple seconds, folks. Is it cheating to play half of your games a mile above sea level? Probably not, but the Rockies' offense certainly isn't complaining. We were staying with my buddy Ryan Rindler in Denver, who decided to join us for the game. We take you now inside Coors Field for our experience of the Rockies' home ballpark. We have made it to the Mile High Ballpark, Coors Field here in Denver, Colorado. It is an absolutely stunning day for baseball. We got the Rocky Mountains to our left. We can't currently see them because we were sitting along the third base side, but we got a good look at them from the first base side earlier this evening, and I might be venturing up there a little bit later to get another view. But Anthony, (laughs) what have you thought so far about Coors Field? It's top tier, officially top tier. Why, why, what are the things about it that make it top tier for you? It's, It's really beautiful. Just like from an aesthetic standpoint, everything about it fits together for me. Um, 
And it's like it's this another case where there, yes, there are ads, but somehow I don't I can't ex exactly explain when it works and when it doesn't. But there's times when the ads don't distract; they're just part of the background, and they still feel like a baseball park. And this is one of those places because I mean, like Tiger Stadium has a number of ads, but it doesn't feel like they're overwhelming ever. So that's one of the things here. It's just the 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 color of the seats, the the the, the fact. I love the fact that you can see the girders and the structure of the stadium. While we're while while like, while, while you're walking through the concourse, also, you mean? Also sitting here, and it's open air. Like it's not it's not doesn't feel like it's it's a huge stadium, but it doesn't feel like this massive block of blah. You know the way that some of them do. Well, they have recently taken out several thousand seats smartly and installed uh, this rooftop bar area and kind of a restaurant area in. Uh, above the right field bleachers. And it's, because they did build this park way too big, which we'll probably get into it with um, our guest, uh, who you will hear next week. Uh, we're very excited to interview tomorrow. But uh, they, they built the stadium too big back in, uh, was it 90? Oh! Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton. Oh, you know what? We're gonna take a quick break real quick because three for three, but that's the thing. He hasn't been hitting a lot, but he's hitting he's three for three here in Coors Field. But he's on the base right now, and when he's on the base pads, I take my camera out because I like to watch this man run the bases. So we'll be back in about two seconds. Goodbye. And we're back. Billy Hamilton unfortunately was not able to make any magic on the base pads, but it's still always really fun to watch him dancing back and forth and just cause havoc to the pitcher. But uh, I want to quickly mention, before we move on, it's the middle of the innings right now. It's, it's the, it's the, we're heading into the bottom of the sixth, and Anthony and I are able to have a conversation with one another without screaming, despite the fact the music is playing. I think that the, the level... The, I think I think that the audio level here at Coors Field is actually a pretty decent level. Would you agree or disagree? Sure. Yeah. Um, I did, however, the, they played, like, some bad techno synth pop bad stuff at the beginning of the game like with their pre-show video montage that was pretty lame but other than that that's the only lame aspect of it. everything else i think is top tier and it it didn't surprise me to learn from you that it's the same architects that did safeco because to me safeco is also i mean we didn't we didn't do this at safeco because i wasn't with you at safeco so safeco is one of my absolute favorites and Yo, for similar reason it, it feels they feel they have a similar feel in the sense they feel very they just feel beautiful. Well, I'll tell you this. Both you and I were quite tired this morning, and and uh, I, I'll speak for myself. I was a bit cranky earlier today, and I will just say that uh, this ballpark has a, a... Ooh. Sorry, that's a little bloop. Ow. And Mr. Drew Stubbs blooped it to right field and tried to stretch a single into a double... But uh, was that Jay Bruce out there? Quite a bit. He was throwing by. Was that Jay Bruce out there? Jay Bruce. And Mr. Jay Bruce had him dead to rights. Well, that was disappointing for Mr. Stubbs. But no. But what back to what I was saying is that this ballpark, and I think you were also a little bit tired as well. You know, it's been you know a, a crazy couple of days for us. But I think both of us have kind of. It's, there's like a calming atmosphere here at Cool Sphere. Like I, I feel very like kind cool of real sphered. Coors. I want, to, like I want to find that place. Where's Cool's Feared? Coors Field. That like an interesting place to go. All right. I'm, we, we have a friend with me. We have a guest with us sitting next to us. So how about you, you, you know, stop with the, with the needling. This will be a good time for me to introduce uh, our, our seatmate and our host for uh, our short stay here in Denver, Colorado. But he is Ryan Rindler. He's a buddy of mine from high school. We are He's very graciously opened up his home to us to let us crash with him. Ryan actually joined me on my 30 stadium tour for a week. We did together uh, Colorado, Arizona, San Diego, San Francisco, and Oakland together. We spent a week in a car together. We just said together like three times within the span of five words, but that's all right. Dead air is not good for podcasts, but if I could just stare daggers at you right now, I would. And I would survive it. Mr. Rindler. We traveled the, the country with one another. And, uh, but I haven't seen you in a while. So I'm um, thank you for, for hosting us. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of Coors Field? I mean, always great to be here. Here last night, up on the rooftop, you know, saw a great, you know, uh, walk off sort of steal home 
uh, I guess you could call it. So just, uh, just great to be outside, you know, beautiful, beautiful summer day. So Rindler, you and I, you know, we've known each other for a very long time. And while you are a sports fan, a baseball fan, you are not at the level of Anthony or I. You are, are you follow it, but you don't, you know, you're not a psychopath the way we are. Is this accurate? That's accurate. So how often do you like to come out to a ballpark seeing as, and also you're not really a Rockies fan per se. No. You know, you, you embrace them because they're your adopted hometown team. But for the most part, you are a Tigers fan. You are rocking the Tigers hat tonight, which I appreciate. But how often do you like to come out to Coors Field? Get, get about 10 games a year. I mean, it's, it's nothing significant, but uh, again, just, uh, just a, a great thing to do in downtown Denver. I mean, easy to get to, 16th Street Mall right down the road. You know, just, just make a night of it. Nice. All right, so Anthony, uh, is there anything else specific about this park that you feel like you want to comment on as far as just... Um, well, you know what? Uh, um, you had mentioned earlier about the batter's eye. Would you like to speak a little bit about the batter's eye? It's beautiful. There's like real greenery there, which to me, you know, incorporates the, you know, this is a very nature kind of place. Denver, Colorado with the Rockies, you know, they're called the Rockies. So to have like a little piece of what feels like it doesn't feel kitschy when I look at it. It actually feels like it's a little arboretum that, you know, clearly somebody has to tend to it and make it beautiful There's yeah there are fully ivy. grown there are fully yeah. grown trees yeah. uh, beyond center field so it feels like it's not just kitschy it feels like it's an acknowledgement of the environment we're in and it feels holistic to me absolutely so you know the same like there's the beautiful Hedges that are um, sculpted in PNC also that have. You oh, know, I love those. The yeah. one that say pirates in them. I really, really love those yeah. hedges. And that you know, and like the ivy and Wrigley, anything that has that sort of incorporation of of live plant life in a way that is beautiful. I think is. I think that's really worth acknowledging. And the, when we're on the concourse, you like the the um, you can see the girder, like the the structure, it just feels like, you feel like you're in a baseball stadium always, no matter where you are in this park. Some of those other, we talked about, like, I think it was in Cincinnati especially, like, I like Cincinnati, but it's time you're on the concourse, you feel like you could be anywhere. You could be in a mall, you could be in a cruise ship, you could be, you know, uh, sort of anywhere in different points. So this is really like a really great modern ballpark. It's one of the best. And you were mentioning earlier that, you know, the fans here seem to be pretty into the game, which, you know, some ballparks we go to, they're really not. Like, it's really kind of... Uh, depressing at some ballparks you go to and the fans don't really seem that into the action on the field but here you know there's a lot of folks sitting around us that are you know maybe not with every pitch but with a lot of pitches they are are cheering on there even though the Rockies you know they they took an early deficit uh, I think they, they were down four pretty early in this game in the second or third inning I believe uh, but they're you know there's the crowd is still into it which which I really appreciate yeah and I mean I'm sure that part of being a Rockies fan you have to be used to big offensive outbursts from any team any ever because of the I'm telling you who was it was it Votto or who hit the who no, it was it was uh, Frazier oh it was oh it was it was a home run derby champ himself Frazier I mean he hit so he hits a, a uh, with one pitch a rocket down the left field line hooking just foul would have been a home run but literally, foul. Just foul. Yeah. Like, literally against there's like a a causeway right behind the foul pole and the ball bounced next to the wall of that causeway inside of it. And with the very next pitch, he just very smoothly went op opposite field. And I'm telling you, like normally Anthony and I are very good at being able to predict what's going to be a long fly ball and what's going to be gone. And it's even the sound off the bat, it, just, it looked like it was floating. It just looked like it's just, it's a lazy pop fly. It just kept on going and deposited itself in the uh, right field uh, stand. And it had to have height too then because that's a high, yes. it's a high wall there. But it just, I feel like as soon as you pop the ball up in this air, it just travels. It just goes. Like, hi, see ya, hi. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's... I really do like this park quite a bit. And I do like the fact they took out some of those seats, um, that, that rooftop area, and the tu Tuaca, T-U-A-C-A, the Tuaca, uh, my, I have bad Terrace, eyesight. Terrace. Terrace, thank you. Tuaca Terrace looks like it'd be a kind of fun place to, to hang out there and you know drink some beers and eat some burgers. The Reds, the, the Reds are just really getting some good one on this, ball, on, on this today. They've, they've already knocked in uh, five runs off of 12 hits. Um, the seventh, in the top out. of the seven, nobody out. But um, I want to. There was one other thing. Uh, the uh, the fact that I had another salad at a ballpark, back to back salads at a ballpark. I'm very happy about it. Maybe Anthony knew the West Coast because the West Coast knows how to treat its vegetarian fan base. The Midwest, not so much. The East Coast, not so much. 
But these left coasters, they really know it's how to make... I don't think Coloradans would like to be called left coasters. No? Are these mountain coasters. They're mountain states. These mountainers, these mountaineers, these, these hill folk know how to uh, make a good vegetarian meal. But with that, the sun is starting to set here at Coors Field, and I want to do my best to kind of run up to the first baseline. Because if you've, if you've never been to Coors Field, try to sit in the second deck along first base because you get a different beautiful view of the Rocky Mountains with the sun setting every 10 minutes, and it's really quite gorgeous. I'm going to try and snap some photos of it for you guys. You can check it out the website, clubhousepodcast.com, in the photo section. Um, but if not, I do have some photos from my rounding third site, but I'll let you guys know where to see it. Uh, so, uh, Anthony, any final thoughts on Coors before we let them go? Beautiful. I just don't like that it's named after beer. Yeah, but that's the, that's, you know what, maybe we'll dedicate an episode to uh, a corporate naming uh, one day, and we'll, we'll try to find someone, uh, a guest, that can talk to us about just the, the history of corporate ballparks, because I would much prefer the owner's name to be on the top, but, oh my goodness, cl- that play looked much closer than it needed to be. The um, Friedrich, the, uh, the, the Rockies pitcher, was kind of lackadaisically running over to first to cover first, but made it just in time to record the final out. So, folks... We will see you next time here in the clubhouse. The home base for the clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.